Hey, I'm Ryan Mallory, and this is my Swing Trading the Stock Market podcast. I'm here to teach you how to trade in a complex, ever-changing world of finance. Learn what it means to trade profitably and consistently, managing risk, avoiding the pitfalls of trading, and most importantly, to let those winners run wild. You can succeed at the stock market, and I'm ready to show you how. Hey, everybody. This is Ryan Mallory with Swing Trading the Stock Market, and I got a good episode for you guys today. We're going to talk about inverse ETFs. How do you trade them in a bearish market? And what's some of the best practices that I implement in my trade and that you guys can also implement in yours as well? We're going to talk about all of that with this email, and we're going to call this guy John Boy. And for those who don't know, I don't use their real names. I give them a Florida redneck name. In this case, John Boy writes, hey, Ryan, I would like to hear your thoughts on inverse ETFs and how traders can take a bear stance with swing trading without opening themselves to margin beyond simply opening fewer long positions. I will take a name of your choosing if you decide to respond to this in your podcast. I did, and I gave you a name, John Boy. I'm not a whiskey drinker, vodka for me, but I love the personality and the energy the reviews bring to the shows. Keep them coming. I am a new trader, started mid-December, and your down-to-earth, digestible guidance has been essential in keeping me sane and in the game over the last few months. I started with a small account, around $500, and I'm slowly adding to the investment as I gain confidence in my ability to navigate the market while trading. This has paid off well for me during the dip the last couple of weeks as I was able to proactively make the decision to take fewer long positions and try out opening a few positions in market-level inverse ETFs like SQQ and SH. I want to gain more experience before choosing my account size and opening myself to margin. This puts shorting individual stocks off the table. Can you talk about inverse ETFs and taking a bearish approach without margin? Here are some questions that come to mind as thought starters here. That said, I am mostly interested in hearing what you have to say on the subject as a whole and are not concerned with having these addressed individually. Number one, are inverse ETFs suitable for swing trading? Is there a max length of time you would hold a position in one. I understand that they should not be used for positional or buy and hold strategies, but I am unclear in their application and swing trading. Number two, what is your view on leverage ETS? Do you feel differently about these than using leverage directly? And number three, how important are expense ratios on ETS when it comes to swing trading? Are there any signs or thresholds that tell you to find a different option? Thanks again for the amazing resource. John Boy. All right. Good question. But first, before I get to answering those questions, what am I drinking here? Well, I have myself an old fashioned, but it's not one that I made. I found this one at Total Wine. It's a little plastic bag. They sell it. It's like fills it up here. It's like 3.3 ounces. And it says it's 28% alcohol. Now, my old fashions are about 2.4 ounces, and I use about 50% alcohol bourbon, Evan Williams, Knob Creek, those kinds, right? And that's usually after you put the simple syrup in and everything else comes out to about 2.4 ounces and it's about 41% alcohol, 40, 41% alcohol. So noticeable difference that this is here is only 28% and this thing, and it definitely fills up quite a bit of your glass. Now, when I try it, you, you know, it, it hits you for a second. You, for a second there, you think that you're going to have a decent old-fashioned. And within that split second, it immediately goes away. It's gone. You don't even know where it went. It just goes flat. It's like a flat soda. It just disappears. There's no like strong taste to it. There's no flavor. Even 
even when I smelt it, there wasn't any smell to it at all. So I give it like a 3.8, honestly. And this is from a company called The Perfect Cocktail, and it's far from being perfect. And what's also interesting, it says it's made with caramel color. Why are you sticking that in there? If the bourbon's right, it shouldn't need any color, man. I've never thought to myself, I need some coloring in my bourbon to make it look like an old-fashioned. No, I've never even gone to a bar where they've said that. So this here is saying that it's made with caramel color. That's that's a big warning flag. It's definitely not a perfect cocktail. I give it a 3.8, guys. I, I can't even go any higher than that. It's trash. Now, back to John Boy and his email here. There's a lot to go over here, and I've written down a lot of notes that I want to get to. First of all, he's a new trader. He just started in mid-December, so there's there's going to be some challenges there. There's, there's a huge experience gap that he's trading against there. He hasn't seen, he hasn't even really seen a really strong bull market yet. He's really just lived in the bear market. He saw a little bit of a rise to close out the year, and then he saw the big sell-off in January, and now he's seeing a little bit of a bounce back in February. And all of that said, as of this podcast, he's only seeing a market that's 3.8% from being green on the year, despite the fact it was down in correction territory at one point in January. But the good thing is this too, is, is that he's not putting a lot of faith in himself. He's realizing that he needs that experience. And so he's starting off with a small amount. And that's important as a beginning trader to start off a small amount. It's not that great to maybe be a paper trader because you miss out on a lot of the emotions you experience when you start trading with money. So it's good that he's trading with money, but it's also good he's not trading with a ton of it to really hurt himself financially. And like you said, he's trying to navigate the market and manage his emotions. That's important because that's the one thing that a lot of people get themselves in trouble with, especially early on. They trade with too much money. They are trading with too big of a position size and you can't do that. Position sizing means everything in stocks. The bigger the position, the more emotions that you're going to experience. And when the emotions are high, it increases the likelihood you're not going to make a good decision on your trade. One of the things that I really like in this email, he says, my goal is not to earn a profit, but to learn as much as possible about trading and to develop a winning strategy that works for me. That's good. I mean, look, $500, yeah, it's it's a good chunk of change and everything in terms of like, you can do a lot with $500. Not as much as you could maybe like a year ago, but <laughs> you can do a lot with $500. So nobody wants to lose $500, but it is something that you can come back with. I mean, for Pete's sakes, go out and have a couple of kids and you'll get a child tax credit each month that's more than $500, right? Uh, I'm not actually saying to go and do that. I'm just giving you an example of how easy it is, I guess, to recover from it, minus the 18 years of responsibility for raising those kids. But he says he wants to learn as much as possible about trading and to develop a winning strategy that works for him. Now, a lot of times people try to adapt the winning strategies of other people rather than trying to learn for themselves what's going to work. They try to follow them on the position sizes, sometimes to the exact dollar amount. And what works for one trader doesn't always work for another trader. That's why developing a strategy and approach to trading that works for you and for your lifestyle is so important. And a lot of people want to go from part-time trading to, to full-time trading, and they think it's an all-or-nothing thing. They can't just be a trader and something else. They have to be a tr full-time trader or nothing. I fully believe in having a side hustle when you're being a full-time trader because it does take a lot of the pressure off of you. So without getting too far off track there, it's incredibly important to develop a winning strategy that works for you because what might work for somebody else doesn't mean it's going to adapt to your style and personality when it comes to trading. The other thing that I want John Boy to do is to get good at following a trading plan. Now, there's an all-encompassing trading plan that comes with your overall approach to trading and how you go from trade to trade to trade. 
but there's also the individual component of a trading plan where how are you going to manage this specific trade? Where are you going to get in at? Why are you getting in at? Where are you going to put the stop loss in case the trade doesn't go the way that you expect it to? And where are you going to start looking at taking profits at and, and why? Be good at executing it, whether it's with losing trades or winning trades. Be good at both and make that your focus for your first year of trading. And come December, at the end of this year, look back and say, okay, not so much was I profitable or not. Was I good at following the plan and executing the plan? Was I good at, like he said, John Boy said, managing the motions? Did he stay disciplined and get out when those stop losses were triggered? Did he take some partial profits along the way if that's what his trading plan called for? And how was his reward to risk on his trades? Was he getting into trades that had resistance levels right at that trigger point? Or was he going after trades that had a lot of room to run that would expand the reward with a minimal risk? That is what John Boy wants to be doing over the course of this year. He also likes to use the top-down trading strategy. That's something that I'm a huge proponent of. But one of the things that he's doing is he's developing the watch list after he develops it. Really, the watch list is separate from your top-down trading strategy in the sense that you're going to have a watch list, both bullish and bearish, regardless of the market, because the market can flip, the market can change. What's going well right now may be to the market's detriment the next day or in the next hour. The market can change, and it's always good to be prepared by having a bullish and a bearish watch list. So develop that outside of whether or not you're bullish or bearish on the market as a whole. Have a bearish watch list when you're bullish and have a bullish watch list when you're bearish because you need both of those. And he also took on some trades using SQQ and IWM. Now, SQQ is basically an inverse ETF of the Qs, QQQ. So SQQ is the inverse three to one of QQQ. Now, SH is the bearish inverse ETF of one to one of the S&P 500 or SPY. Now, the more leverage, the more risk. You're going to go with a three to one leverage ETF. If the NASDAQ was to gap up the next day, like two, let's say 3%, then all of a sudden you're going to be down 9% on that position. If you don't follow your trading plan and let's say it's like, oh, it's got to bounce back, right? And it doesn't. And let's say it goes down another 10%. So on top of that 9%, you're also down another 30% on top of that. So it can get away from you very, very quick. And you don't want that to happen. So very difficult to hold three to one inverse ETFs overnight. I've done it. I'm not always that comfortable with it. I do hold two to one inverse ETFs overnight if I don't think that there's a very good likelihood of that stop loss being triggered overnight. And so usually that requires it for to, to make a little bit of a move or just not be anywhere close to the stop loss either way. I can hold those overnight. But when you start getting into the three to ones, man, it just really amplifies it quite a bit. Now, I'm also being very careful with my position sizes because if I'm going with a two to one ETF, I'm not going to go mortgage the farm. In fact, with every one of my trades, it's the same position size because I want to keep the emotions the same. So with like an inverse ETF for, say, SPY, SDS, I'm not going to necessarily take a big position on it. And remember, too, these inverse ETFs, particularly the more leveraged ones, they're designed to go down over time. You take SQQQQ, over time, they're going to go down towards zero. There's no chance of it actually sustaining long-term gains because you go back to 2010, for instance, when SQQQ, <laughs> I get tired of saying that, when it first started trading, when you take all the reverse splits into account and it's at a one to five split, 
just recently. And before that, it was another one to five split, another one to four. These are all reverse splits, by the way. Another one to four and another one to four. Oh, and another one to four as well. Um, what that ends up making is that the original basis for SQQQ was 500 and like 20 or $30,000 per share. Yes, you heard me right. A half a mil was the original share price when you account for all of the reverse splits. Today, it's trading at like $35 a share. That means over time, these things do go down. And so you can't make a long-term investment out of a bearish ETF or just keep holding it, hoping that the market's finally going to top and going to confirm because by the time it does, you're probably going to be down 80, 90, maybe 99%. And that could be just over the course of a, a year. I mean, at the end of 2019, this thing was trading at like $560 a share. Again, it's at $35. So you can lose a ton of money by holding this on long-term. They're not intended to hold, be held long-term, but you can swing trade them. Now, there is a reset factor that goes along with them. Meaning if the stock market rallies 10% one day and then drops another 10% another day, there's going to be about a 3% difference between what the 2X inverse ETF did to its detriment versus what the actual index did. Because these reset every day. They're supposed to get the two to one return only for one day. The next day, it has to reset in order to achieve that. But if you're holding it for multiple days, yes, you can still be profitable off it. I've done it plenty of times. I've held it for a, a week or two. But the conditions have to be favorable for that. You don't want to be holding on to these things long term because they're resetting every day. You're ultimately going to lose. It's just it's basically science. And I don't I know that term gets thrown around pretty loosely these days, but it is science. One of the things that I really like using uh, bearish ETFs for inverse ETFs is because of the fact that it helps you avoid the potential for shorting a stock and then it getting acquired. That That's like the, the most horrific thing that can possibly happen. Let's say you get short XYZ in the next day microsoft buys them out for a 60 or 70 percent premium and you're just getting killed all of a sudden on your position there's no going back it's not like it's going to come back stop losses aren't going to matter at that point because the stock just got acquired so that's the big fear getting short on a stock now do stocks get acquired every day no but there are stocks getting acquired almost every day and so what you hope for when you're shorting stocks that it's not going to be yours. So a lot of times when I do short stocks, it's the big, big, big ones that doesn't have a great chance of getting bought out. I mean, just look at recently Activision got bought out by Microsoft. If you were shorting Activision, you got your head handed to you. If you were shorting LinkedIn a few years back, you got your head handed to you. 60% premium on that one. Stocks get bought out every day and you don't want to be short when that happens so the inverse etf actually provides a really good vehicle for avoiding shorting a stock that could possibly be bought out i mean apple's not going to be bought out i mean i don't know how they would unless like the federal government or the federal reserve decided to start acquiring companies as a form of quantitative easing and the other thing too about the inverse etfs that i do like is that during earnings season and i've been using them a lot so far here in 2022 is that you don't have to worry as much about earnings. Yes, if Amazon reports or Facebook reports, that's going to have an effect on the ETFs, but it's not a direct effect. It's, it's one of many, many companies that are in the ETF. Yes, very influential companies, 
but not big, big companies. So I do like the inverse ETFs for not having to worry about you know, earnings and what the potential might be. Because even if let's say you're long on AMD and NVIDIA has a horrible quarter, right? It's going to hurt AMD and it's going to hurt all the other semiconductors. So you're always kind of like watching it. It's the same thing with like the airliners. Delta Airlines reports earlier than most of the airliners. If they have a bad quarter, they're probably going to hurt all the other airliners as well. And vice versa, if they have a really good one and you're short the stock, it's going to, to send perhaps your stock through the roof and you're going to get squeezed out of your position. And as far as fees, I really don't worry too much about the fees. Uh, usually with ETFs, they're not much to worry about. And the, the bigger fees are usually found within mutual funds. Now, one thing I would say is when it comes to inverse ETFs, don't go buying like TVIX or UVXY or a lot of the VIX products. There is a graveyard of many, 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 many traders out there that get way too aggressive trading the VIX products. And you shouldn't even be aggressive at all. You shouldn't even be buying these things at all. Okay. They're, they're, they're set up for you to like, they're one of the, let me be honest. They're one of the worst ETFs that were ever created. People love them and people get destroyed by them. So the takeaway here, Ember's ETFs, they definitely have a use for them. They can be swing traded. You got to remember that they are resetting each and every day. The more leverage, the more risk. Position yourself accordingly that you're not going to be putting a lot of money into the position that's going to cause you a lot of grief or a lot of emotion. They're also very good at avoiding the acquisitions and make sure to avoid those VIX products. If you enjoyed this episode, I would encourage you to leave me a five-star review on your favorite podcast platform. Or if you're watching it on YouTube, make sure to like and subscribe and make sure to check out swingtradingthestockmarket.com. That's where I have all my market research each and every day. You're going to get some fantastic stuff there. It's my Patreon account that goes along with this podcast. With it, you're going to get my weekly watch list, both bullish and bearish. You're also going to get the most intriguing charts that I come across each and every day, as well as the stocks that I'm tracking for each session. You're also going to get updates on all the FANG stocks, including Tesla and Microsoft, plus updates on all the indices at swingtradingthestockmarket.com. Thank you, guys, and God bless. Thanks for listening to my podcast, Swing Trading the Stock Market. I'd like to encourage you to join me in the SharePointer trading block where I navigate the stock market each day with traders from around the world. With your membership, you will get a seven-day trial and access to my trading room, including alerts via text, email, and WhatsApp. So go ahead, sign up by going to SharePointer.com slash trading block. That's www.SharePointer.com slash trading block. And follow me on SharePlanner's Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, where I provide unique market and trading information every day. If you have any questions, please feel free to email me at brian at All the best to you, and I look forward to trading with you soon.